Welcome to Control the Controllables. My name's Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis Academy in Soto Grande, Spain. And I'm bringing you these podcasts. The aim is very clear to educate, to entertain and to energise the tennis community. Welcome to the next podcast. Welcome to episode 83 of Control the Controllables. Today, we have Steve Davies and Matt Allen, who are the directors of Active Away. Active Away is a tennis coaching company that does tennis holidays. They conquered Dragon's Den. They had four out of the five investors want to invest in their company and in the end, they went with the dragon, Peter Jones. It's a, it's a fantastic story from coaching, coaching, working for the LTA, to then setting up their own tennis holiday business, to then taking their pitch to the dragons, winning the dragons over, and then COVID hit. Possibly the worst thing that could possibly happen to a travel company to a tennis holiday company that relies so much on the ability to freely get yourself around Europe. The boys speak with emotion about many different occasions, positive emotion, negative emotion, and it's it's a fantastic show. So sit back and I'm going to pass you over to Steve and Matt. So Steve Davies and Matt Allen, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing, boys? Very good. Thanks, Dan. Great to be here. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, likewise. Quite excited to um, yeah have a good chat. Well, the first revelation of the day, I've been calling Steve, Steve Davis, for the last 20 years. And I've found out that today's name's actual Steve Davies, but he's He's just accepted that that's what his, his name is. So a, a little introduction to, to you both. Um, owners of Active Away, the tennis, tennis holidays. And some of you might have seen them on Dragon's Den, where they were selected and went into business with Peter Jones. So they're going to tell us stories about how they went into the den and they conquered the den. And then I'm sure lots of other things that we're going to get into, boys. Um, as with all of these podcasts, I say this all the time, we want to really showcase the different lenses, the different vehicle that tennis is taking us through, but it all started somewhere. So Steve, where did this tennis bug start for you? Um, well, I started playing tennis at 15, so I was late to the game, uh, very late. I don't know if you remember, Dan, but I actually played you at County Week one year. Um, but I don't think you remember. And play, we played down, I think it was Portsmouth on the grass courts. You played against Staffordshire, do you remember? If I lost, I don't remember. Okay, do you remember breaking a chair? <laughs> no, no memory, Must wrong, <laughs> wrong identity, Steve. <laughs> okay, yeah, I thought I, maybe it's somebody else. Yeah, maybe it's somebody else. But yeah, I started well late and... Um, yeah, I, I just because I was a late starter, I wasn't like the typical sort of person that picked a racket up at six. Uh, sort of in my 20s, I was still mad passionate about tennis. Couldn't, you know, couldn't play enough of it, loved it. Um, and the people that I met, you know, in the early days, sort of I remember playing 
the semi-finals of the 18s for Staffordshire against a lad called Paul Jessup, who was on the Slater squad. And he was 14 when I played him and he beat me when I was like 17. But, and then, you know, like he's obviously over those years, he's played such an early age and then they sort of lose the love for it. And, and, and whereas I, my love grew and grew and, even today, I still like playing tennis, which is, um, I love the game, I love the sport. Um, I love the fact that it introduces you to so many people, so many personalities. Um, so yeah, um, my career started really as a coach. I, I tried playing full-time for six, a year on a Dave Samble squad up in Bramall. Um, and, and, you know, very, very quickly realised I wasn't going to be good enough. But my idea was to get to the highest possible level I could so I could then move that forwards into coaching. And then I had sort of my, my coaching career. My, my passion was performance. And I really wanted to produce the next Wimbledon champion, which I think a lot of performance coaches have that dream. Um, I started to realise that dream probably wasn't going to happen either. Um, so, so then moved into sort of management, worked for David Lloyd Leisure, uh, loved that, um, became a manager uh, for nine years um, at David Lloyd Derby. I believe actually, Dan, you used to play for David Lloyd Derby. You, 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 yeah, you, so that was my yeah. first big memory of you, Steve. I mean, you, you've beaten me in Portsmouth, I don't remember at all, wrong identity, don't take any responsibility for that, but I do remember the David Lloyd Derby days with Nick Fullwood, and I think we won NCL maybe three or four years on a row in the row, actually, so that's that's where my memory dates back, because we won, have you noticed, you know, I do, <laughs> you know, it's that's the, there's a, there's a bit of a theme here. And what about yourself, Matt, to bring, to bring you into the conversation? Where did, where did it all start for you? I think um, actually me and Stevie had quite a similar kind of journey along the, along the tennis, tennis backgrounds. Um, I started a little bit earlier. Uh, I kind of got into it when I was at, at secondary school, actually, just started playing on the, the courts at the school with a, with a friend. And a couple of um, ladies from our local club just came up and said, you should come down to the club, come and, come and join and stuff. So I went down there and sort of two years later, I was captain of one of the men's men's first team, um, sort of just improved quite a lot, quite quickly. Uh, but again, same thing, just absolutely loved it and lived and breathed it. I, I remember getting up at six in the morning to cycle to Nottingham Tennis Centre, do a morning squad, then cycle to school, then cycle down to my club and I'd be back on court till 10 o'clock at night cycling. I mean, that, that was me from... I don't know, 12 through to probably 16, really. And then, then 17, I actually met Steve. Um, he, he, was, um, he was not CPO, which in my memory of the CPO was a bit of a, 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 bit of a tough role in some ways, because in essence, you just got a pot of money to come in and coach other people's players, <laughs> which is kind of what he did. And he came down to our local club and this, this guy turned up in a, um, a Peugeot 205 GTI, and I just thought he was the coolest, coolest car with this big body kit on it. Although I did think he was um, about my age at the time as well. So I thought he was really cool because he was like 17, 18, driving this bad boy car. Um, and yeah, we kind of got to know each other there. My tennis journey, again, same sort of thing. I, I, I knew from 14, 15, I, I wasn't going to be a professional tennis player. However, I, at 13, I, I definitely was. Um, 15, went into coaching and started coaching at my local club. And then went to David Lloyd at 18 and was, was sort of full-time with, with Stevie there. I remember 
again, those those kind of days. And I probably improved most at my my level from 18 to sort of 22, 23. We're still playing a lot um, and competing a lot and loved it. Um, and from there, I then set up my own club, actually. Left David Lloyd took, at that point, I'd built up quite a lot of, I don't know, at the time I thought they were really good players, but reality, they were kind of county, verging on regional level players. Um, took them to another club, set this club up from, from outside of David Lloyd. Then ended up going back to David Lloyd as the junior pro. Basically came in and nicked half of Stevie's job when, when his job got changed. Um, and then went on to the LTA from there. Uh, went on to, to work at the LTA, which for me really was kind of a, a dream job, really. Um, coming from a, a little three-court village club where you kind of... Dan, you were, I guess, a lot more within the system at the LTA. When you're outside of the system, it's quite hard to, to break into that. So for me to get into that, I was really quite quite proud of myself and, and had a couple of years there and, and would have stayed there a lot longer. Um, but then Stevie got the, the point to the, the business with Active Away where he did a couple of years and was getting more and more people and, and sort of asked me to come on board to, to sort of help and, and help drive it forward, really. So that's where we are now, um, 10, years, 10 years later. Do you know, just saying that, Matt, what you said about breaking in, coming from a small club, I was the same. I came from a four-court tennis club um, and really was pretty clueless. My coaching was limited. I'd, been, I'd done my, I'd done my um, elementary coaching award, it was, my ECA. Um, but I just had everyone at the club saying, oh, would you coach me, would you coach me? And then I remember, I remember then... Um, Sort of 22-ish, I think my mum and dad kicked me out of home. I remember renting this apartment. I, I, my mum was sick of me coming in late at night, you know. So I had, had to re rented this uh, place. And I remember, just remember getting the phone book out and coming up with this idea. And I literally opened the phone book and thought, do you know what? I'm going to try and set up. At the time, it was called short tennis, not mini tennis. That's how old I am. Um, and I'd open the phone book up and I thought, I'm going to ring up schools, school teachers, uh, school headmasters, and I'm going to try and get mini tennis in schools. So I phoned them up. Before you knew it, I'd got um, a couple of schools that are interested, went round, had a meeting with them, set the one school up, started doing short, short tennis after school activity. Head teacher absolutely loved me. She was amazing. And I said, I'd like to try and get in a few more schools. And some of them just won't see me. She said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. You write a letter, I'll put my name to it, and then you can send it to all the other schools because the school I was in was quite well respected. Oh, there you go. I had another four schools. So it was after school, 3.30 till 6. I'd do three 30-minute sessions. No problem with the weather. It was just on there. School hall, take my own net, take my own rackets and get everyone going. And then that grew into having three coaches working for me where we had 20 schools and we saw over 500 children a week. Um, and then that's how I broke into tennis. Yeah. Then we filtered them to clubs. And yeah, I mean, I had a, and I opened a racket shop. I had a, I was 22, sort of, when I look back, it was quite surprising really what I did. But it's what's very clear speaking to you both then, even seeing, I wish the listeners could see your faces and the smiles on your faces talking about uh, that, you know, the passion that's very clearly in you. There's, there's a very entrepreneurial way about you from the start. You know, you're already, you're talking about dipping into this, doing that, making some money there, creating this. 
and then creating a pathway which I guess in our sport would be certainly in Britain to then both have LTA jobs, be working for the Federation. So now you're on that hamster wheel. How do you get off it? Um, again, for, for me, I think it was, uh, it was a bit of a no brainer at the time when, when this opportunity came up with, uh, with Stevie, we'd worked very, very closely together. We're really good friends. Um, and I, I kind of was in this situation with the LTA that I was doing well. It was a great job. I loved it. I was getting to captain a few of the GB teams. I was definitely on track to carry on moving forward in, in that role and, and definitely wanted to. But it was also something I, I kind of felt like I could come back to um, if I wanted to. And I wanted to give something else a, a bit of a go and see where it took me. And, you know, we've been able to travel the world is, is probably a slight exaggeration, but certainly travel a lot of Europe. Um, stay in amazing places, have great experiences. And the other thing I think that's so important that you don't get taught when you're younger is this ability to network and grow relationships and, and build that kind of relationship with people. Um, and it's just so important. I, I, for me, that's my, one of my biggest learning curves the last 10 years is actually developing that as a skill and understanding that that is a skill um, and, and taking that forward. And that's very, for me, it's been a a huge thing for, for to learn over the last 10 years um how you get off that wheel i think it's a tough it's a tough one like we we talked um a little bit earlier coaching in itself is is, is quite easy to get stagnant the, the the advice i always gave to younger coaches was kind of make sure you're always getting out of your comfort zone um and don't just sit at your club and stay in your club dan i, I obviously knew you when i was in that kind of lta role which was a tough role as well actually um but it was always like try and get people to link into other places, go and see what other people are doing. And, you know, who knows what opportunities come out of just doing that. Um, the more you just sit in your own space is that time when you get a little bit stagnated, I think. Yeah, well, you mentioned that you were out the system and then you came in and then all of a sudden you were in the system telling me what to do. Do you know what I mean? So that, that, that quite quickly, that quite quickly turned on its head as well, you know, but yeah. I, and to turn my attention to you a bit, Steve, obviously, I know you guys are business partners now, but listening to what Matt's saying, you started Active Away, which is what I guess we're going to be telling the listeners about mostly today. Firstly, I guess, tell us what is Active Away and, and then also how, how, how the idea started. Fundamentally, we are, this is, this is, this is going to surprise I think you and maybe some of our readers. Yeah. But I actually think we're a coaching company. Yeah. That do holidays. Okay. Yeah. And you could, I'll name our competitors. Let's say Mark Warner is a competitor of ours and Nielsen Holidays are competitors of ours, but they're holiday companies that do tennis. Yeah. We're a tennis company that do holidays. Yeah. And that is the way I would say ultimately because. We do do skiing as well, um, but primarily we, we do tennis holidays. Um, and what makes us different from our competitors is the quality of what we provide and the tennis that we provide and the, the amount of work that we have put into what we do on those holidays and the detail um, I know is there's no one else doing that. For instance, we, even as a if we go back to saying we're a holiday company, we have a brand of coaching. Now, I don't know, even in the UK, 
if any tennis clubs have a brand of coaching or they've just got coaches in there that actually coach, they all do their own thing, but do they have a brand? Does David Lloyd Leisure have a brand of coaching? And what I mean by that is we've, we, so we, we, our brand is primarily, we teach people how to play doubles. And that is our brand because our market is 95% doubles players. People, you know, the UK market, let's say our market is really sort of 35 to 70 years. We have people younger than that and older than that, but primarily most of our market is 35 to 70 years, years old and they all play doubles. So, and the funny thing is, is they've never been taught doubles before. So the experience that I've walked out and even today, every tennis club I go to, I watch, I watch club afternoons and it really interests me. And I just look where people are standing and what they're doing. And, and they've not been taught. They've been, what they've done is they've turned up to their club. They've had a few lessons. They've been taught how to hit the ball, but they go on a tennis, on a doubles court and they don't really know why they're standing at the net or why they're standing at the back or they've, they've got no re realization. Whereas you look at all the other sports, football, uh, netball, you look, everyone who plays the sport knows why they stand where they stand and the reason for why they're, they're there. Whereas okay. tennis, they don't. And so, um, so yeah, just, just we'll get onto that, I, I guess, later, because that's that, our brand and what we teach it. I'm really, we, as you can tell, I'm really passionate about. But And was that I, always I, the case, Steve, though? I guess if I go back to the, the starting point, was that always your vision that you would you would be running a coaching company that's taking some holidays with doubles as the main main aspect of that, or has that evolved during, evolved. during the time? It's evolved, but it evolved very quickly, Dan. So I, I started doing holidays. I was working at David Lloyd as a manager, and it started with one client who, who was turning 40, and his wife came. He, had, he, looked, he just used to go home, and, he, and he, his wife said to me, all he ever talks about is his tennis lessons with you and how much he loves. He comes home, and he's in the best mood ever. She phoned me up. She said, he's turning 40. He was a multimillionaire, and, and she doesn't know what to get him for his 40th and she said all I can think of something great is I want him to go on holiday with you and a few of his mates will you arrange that for me and just coach them tennis so off I've arranged it went to La Manga had a weekend in La Manga with them absolutely loved it you know I wasn't stuck at the club coaching you know like 15 hours Saturday and Sunday I was in the sun in La Manga um, having a laugh with three other guys that were great guys and I remember on the Sunday we were at Sidebar and they all put 50 note, 50 pound note on the, um, um, after lunch, gave me a 50 each and just said, have that as a tip. And I was just like, wow, <laughs> this is like, this is, I want to do this. I'm going to, this is something I want to do more often. It was really fun. So hence, hence I'd obviously earned out the package that I sold them and, and, and then earned this tip as well. So that then grew into one holiday and then it grew into a, a before you know it, 30 people from the club were coming away. Then we'd do two holidays. And then at that point, I just thought, I really want to do this. And I looked around, I was working at David Lloyd and I looked around David Lloyd Leisure and I thought, there's some coaches are doing this but then I also realized I was doing it at the time illegally I was selling a package holiday to people without any form of license or any and I thought you know what all these coaches are doing this as well if I get a company and, and get an at all license and make it legal I can start getting all these coaches to do it through me and I can go to David Lloyd and try and sort of build it that way and that's how it started 
Well, I think it was initially, actually, the, the vision, you're saying it was a strong focus on just tennis and just doubles. Actually, that definitely did evolve slightly later because yeah. initially the vision when you got on with David Lloyd was actually, let's, okay, great, let's get golf, cycling, let's, you know, that's what you put together. I think, uh, again, these are, these are the journeys of like a, a, of an entrepreneur, right? Is, is I, this was before me, but Steve was like, okay, great. I think you spent, I don't know, five grand on a brochure, sent it out to every single rackets manager and sort of just assume that you're going to get thousands of people booking holidays, right? I want to jump in. So that is so true. How can I forget it? So here's my passion, Dan. I've got two holidays going at David Lloyd. Jesus, this is going to be the biggest company ever. So I get a brochure designed and I'm thinking, this, the active away that, you know, we can be every sport, we can do cycling holidays, you know, golf, tennis, aerobics. And I put together this amazing brochure. I, I, I'm trying to find one. I'm sure if there's a coach out there that has one of these old brochures, because I'm sure there is, because none of them ever handed them out to anybody. They'll be sitting in their offices still, I'm certain of it, in the bottom of the drawer. Uh, I had 5,000 pounds worth of brochures done which I remember being delivered. I got them actually delivered to David Lloyd. And there was an outside container. They all got put in there, which was probably a ton, a, a ton of brochures, literally. They were big. They were, big. No, they were thick things. They were proper brochures. And then I remember getting in my car and I drove the country and I dropped them off at every single David Lloyd centre with all the adult pros and I thought, right, once these go out, the phone's going to ring. I've got the internet, the, my, my website already. And I thought, my God, this is going to be massive. I don't think I had one phone call. <laughs> and that isn't, that's not even like, I didn't have one phone call. And I drove the breadths of the country, length and breadths of the country, and spoken to all these people. And basically what happened is, him, I've got this really big idea, and I'm, I'm going around thinking this is going to be amazing. And I'm meeting lots of other rackets managers who are in their own world and they're like they're not interested in my idea and I give them the brochures and they some of them would say oh I'm not sure about this others would go oh yeah 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 I'll, I'll get them out what I do know is every single I don't think one of those brochures got handed out to anybody and I've got my own reasons why I think that that's happened um, but not one brochure got handed out and that 5,000 was just wasted and the phone didn't ring. I I was and I I went through um, the the early starts of the business before Matt got involved. I mean I I I've got two kids with my partner at the time, and I was like an emotional. I was up here one day, and then I was down completely low as you could possibly be, and it was up and down this emotional roller coaster. Through, I'd sell a holiday, then I wouldn't sell one for a week. <laughs> And then I'd sell two and then I wouldn't, and, and I'm like, oh, it's working now, it's working now. And then I wouldn't sell one. And oh my God, yeah. I don't know how I carried on doing it. I have no idea how I carried on because I, I remember it was just a real tough time for me. And, and yeah, I, I lost my relationship through it as well because my emotions were all over the place. And, and then I remember, I remember eventually, I don't know how, but you just seem to stick at these things. You don't, I don't know why you, you, you don't give up, but you just keep going and going and going. And then I, you get a little, what I think happens is you get a little glimmer. Yep. And then 
it makes you carry on and then a little bit more glimmer and now you just keep seeing this little bit of light and you keep pushing and then then I, and then all of a sudden I started getting a few holidays off the ground and it wasn't just David Lloyd Derby you know we built it into let's say uh, you know a six weeks a year Joining you'll up. have to remind me Matt because when you came on board it, it, it just at that point had started to roll for me. And I was saying to you, I can see it working now. It, 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 all yeah. the work had started paid off. And I said to you, I needed help, didn't I? And I said, look, I, I know it's going to work now. I, I know I've got through the hard slog of, yeah. well, and, and we're going to get somewhere now. And, that, and that's when Matt, I think, can I say this? I hope you don't mind. I think Matt at the time, I remember him sitting in his car and all he was ever doing, we were best friends. He was driving up and down the country to meet people. And all. And, and, and the truth is, Matt, he was a bit overweight, Dan, if I don't mind saying. I mean, he was a chubster. And and he, he I think it just wasn't him, you know. He's just, he was just hot. Most of his job really was sat in a car. Yeah. And he loved doing the bit once he got out the car. And then when I sold Active Away, he'd come away with me on one of the weeks and he just thought, wow, I get to go on holiday. I get to run around, keep yeah. it, meet these people. And I think that did it, didn't it, Matt? Yeah, I think it was um, It was just an opportunity. Um, I, th I think the, the, the thing with the LTA was it, it was, yeah, a lot of time just driving around, seeing, you know, going seeing different people. And there was a lot of time spent in the car doing stuff like that, which, you know, is never ideal, just driving up and down the M5 all day long. Um but it was it was just a great opportunity. Um, I, I I saw it. I think the year actually I came on board. The reason why you came back, pulling your well you, your hair's pretty short now, but pulling your hair out at the time was um, it was the year of the ash cloud, uh, and you just had the ash cloud in May. So you you've gone from I think year one where you sort of had a few holidays going to year two where you had a lot more holidays going and you were actually out in Crete full time at the at the resort, and then the third year was then the ash cloud year where pretty much the business was going to fold until um, Willie Walsh took the flight up and, and said, it's all right to fly and all the flight, all the planes got going again. And if you hadn't done that, act away, well, wouldn't, well, might maybe would have come back, but certainly would have gone bust at that point. Um, so it was pretty, pretty stressful. And you did, you definitely, um, that's where the gray hair started coming through. And I, I think on that as well, though, if I, I can certainly relate I think the three of us are, are very entrepreneurial in our ways, you know, setting up a, a random tennis academy in Spain. And when somebody asks me, asks me how that's happened, and I can completely relate to the, the good times, the bad times, the difficulties, I, I would always say that naivety was my number one attribute. And, 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 and I just think... I just didn't know. I didn't know. I knew I kind of wanted to take it, but I had no idea of the ins and outs of getting a business off the ground in Spain, of getting people to actually buy into, to come into my tennis academy, basically completely all clients had to move that move countries, you know, mm. to, to, to come to it. I had no idea of what that would take. And I actually think if I did, I wouldn't have done it. I don't know if you can relate to that, Steve, the naivety. Yeah. Let me tell you, Dan. So I remember um, summer holidays, I actually had a, when I was with Natasha, we had a caravan in Holland and she was Dutch, uh, her family's Dutch. So we do, do the summer holidays there and I'd work off the internet. 
and um, I'd have the, I'll tell you a, a one story in a minute about a really funny story when Matt first joined Active Away when we were on a ski slope. Bring me back to that. But basically, um, my, my phone would ring um, and I'd have my phone, I'd have this 0870 number that was 0844 number that was transferred to my mobile. So I looked like a big company. It was really important. I couldn't look like a tin point back in those days. You couldn't have a mobile number as your company number. You can now, it's normal. But back then, a holiday company having a mobile phone number, that would have just, no one's going to part with a thousand quid and with some dodgy guy on a mobile. So I had this website built that looked bigger than I was. I had this phone number. And this phone number, it was a company called Switchboard for Free. And they just transferred it to my mobile. And back then, that was quite a, a big thing as well. And anyway, my phone would ring and I'd be anywhere then and I could answer and be in the office. And anyway, I answered the phone and I'd get the get people ringing up. And what I've got, because what we did is we sold group holidays and we did set weeks. So we had four or five weeks. We might have three weeks in the start of the year in May. And then at the end of the year, maybe two or three weeks as well. So that's all I could sell. So I get customers ringing me up. Oh, I'm looking to go in June. I didn't have anything in June. And it was just a killer for me because I knew I could provide them with a great holiday, but they weren't free when my week was free. So it's taken so long mm -hmm. to, I lost so many people. And you could say, well, why didn't you do anything in June? Because the truth is I could have done something in the June on the date, but that only one customer wanted to do that. And then I had one the day after the week after and one the week before, and you can't run a, you, I need at least 10 to get a group going and make it work feasible. So it took so long to get off the ground. Um, and, and, and that's why I know for someone to do what we're doing now, another tennis coach has set up, just like what you know with the Academy, I know how long it's going to take them to build what we built like now we've got a holiday we still don't do anything really in august you know someone rings us and wants a holiday in august we don't do that but we've got pretty much every everything covered when that phone rings now we've got something covered for most people who want to go on a tennis holiday and 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 i know our competitors uh, or let's say tennis coaches style it's gonna be hard for them steve enough of that tell us about the ski slope <laughs> so it was your first experience wasn't it Matt with me we went out we 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 we've gone out and we're looking at Bansko uh, we thought right we're gonna I'm gonna go into ski holidays Matt was mad on skiing knew he, he he was border I hadn't got a clue hadn't even you know hardly been on a board in my life so Matt I said to Matt I found a great place that's perfect to start beginner ski holidays it's cheap we've got to go there and I said to him Bansko Right, we're going to Bansko. We get in the car. I mean, the story, to be honest, at the start is funny. We get to the airport. I've not organised a transfer. <laughs> so we get there. We're like, right, we've got to find some transfer. We find this random Bulgarian guy who puts us in his car, drives us. He gets to a petrol station and he asks for some money because he's got to tax his car. So he taxes his car, taxes his car at the petrol station. And then, and then I think he's got like a little gas thing in his boot, like LPG, and he has to sort of turn that on. And then we, it takes us about four and a half hours to get there. And it's a three hour journey because this guy's driving so slow to be economical. Anyway, we get to Bansko um, and we go through a few ho ho um, 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 hotels, Matt the whole time before we've got up to the ski slopes is saying, it's going to be rubbish. It's going to be rubbish. Oh, it's flat. We haven't gone up any hills. 
we haven't got any appeals and I'm, I haven't got a clue what to expect because I've never been to a ski resort before. And he's just saying it's going to be rubbish the whole time. Anyway, a couple of days later, we're on the slopes and he's like, this is the best place ever, you know, typical map. But the story is, is we're going up the ski lift. Uh, do you ski, Dan? No. So we go, we're going up the ski lift. And if you can imagine, you've got your helmet on, you've got your visor on, you've got your gloves. And I can feel my phone ringing, can't I? I'm like, that, that, by the way, this is our office right now, Dan. We're, you know, it's, it's minus five degrees. We've got the wind blowing. We're shaking on this seat. It's, it's backwards and forwards. And Matt's looking at me. He says, what are you, you going to do? So then I'm going to get it. So I take off my gloves, take out my phone. Oh, it's active away because I can tell it's active away. So I answer the phone, press, press the star to answer it as active away. Hello, active away. Steve speaking. How can I help? You know, because we have to be this amazing office that's, you know, uh, oh, hello there. I'm just ringing to pay the balance of my tennis holiday. You know, so this is this is what this person's saying. Well, I can't exactly take the balance of someone's holiday while I'm on this ski lift. So I'm like, oh, right. OK, that's no problem. I'm ever so sorry. At the moment, our PDQ machine is down, which is the terminal that you take the money with. But um, it, as soon as it's back up, I've got your number on my phone. Do you mind if I give you a call back? She's like, oh, no, that'd be fine. Thank you so much. I can't remember the client who it was. I'd like to. But and, and then I put the phone down and Matt just looks at me and he said, you know, he looks at me and he said, is this is this is what I'm into. This is what I've joined, you know, and it's just hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> quick, quick thinking that is. I tell you what, Steve, you've given us an insight into the way your mind works. That's that's seriously quick. And Matt, what are some of your early memories of of joining? So, what are you doing, jumping into Del Boy here on the flipping ski slope? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, that's a, it's a fair question now, Dan. I'm not sure. <laughs> In fact, actually, I don't know if you, we actually got on the um, follow-up show for Dragon Den. I did refer to Stevie as Hellboy, uh, which was a mistake because then I got labelled as Rodders. So <laughs> I'm not too sure about that label. Um, I, I don't know. I think with the LTA, I, I, I genuinely really enjoyed parts of that role. The, the difficulty in that role was actually sometimes with the, the, the kind of problems you met with when you were going to visit a, a coach because you were the LTA, you've already had kind of barriers and walls up and sometimes you had to work quite hard to break those kind of those, those walls down. Um, I mean, I, I had letters written to Roger Draper about me, about the fact I knew nothing about what I was doing, all this sort of stuff. Um, and then this sort of opportunity came along. We got on great. Um, and I mean, my, my early, early days memories, I, I sort of came on board and sort of said, look, I mean, Steve's just gave me an insight there. We turned up at Vansko and we didn't have a transfer. Um, so I, I sort of came on board and said, look, from what I've been doing at the LTA, I feel I'm, I'm quite strong on like the logistical side of things, planning and all this sort of stuff. So I said, look, I'll take on that sort of stuff. Stevie's going to work on the, the sales side of things. But at the time, I'd, I'd moved back to um, my mum's house, actually. Um, so I was staying at my mum's. Um, I don't know, it was probably late 20s, 29. And Steve was actually living over at his dad's in Staffordshire at the age of 40. So I don't know if you've ever seen the, the film Step Brothers, um, but we, we kept we referring to ourselves as like the Step Brothers, which was quite entertaining. Um, not the most flattering uh, comparison. But we used to literally, he'd, he'd drive around to mine or I'd drive around to his. And well, I say mine and his, my mum's or his dad's. 
um and we'd sit up in the in, in my my bedroom and i got my laptop like plugged into the big 42 inch plasma tv with our sort of sales on it and all sorts of stuff and we'd be we'd be sat there just ringing people getting the sales in and and work, working hard from literally from our bedroom from my bedroom um and every, we seems every lunch break we'd always i don't know if you've seen a program called entourage um, but this is one of my main memories was each lunchtime was like a, a lunchtime treat of putting half an hour of entourage on. We'd sit there, watch a bit of that, get pumped up for the afternoon and then, and then go again. Um, and that was kind of what it was like for the first probably couple of years, really. Yeah. Um, it was good. It was good times. It was it was just different. I mean, literally came out of this really professional role to then work in from my bedroom, <laughs> which is I never really thought of it like that. But um, that, that's what it was. And, and I think. I've, I've definitely always had a strong vision of where we can go as a company um, and, and, and how we can get there. And, and I still completely believe in that. Um, and I, you know, went from, you know, I had a moment probably a year ago, whatever, working in the office at Palliser House, right by Queen's Club, where you used to train. Um, working in the office there with a couple of interns working with me when the team was growing and, and I sort of, have that moment of reflection of going back and thinking back to the working in a bedroom and, and how far we've come and where we can go in the future. It's, it's quite exciting. Um, so, and I guess that's why what's made it definitely worth moving on from that, that role at the LT, which again, obviously at the time I had no guarantees of that happening. And if I'm honest, I, you know, my, my dad, I remember saying to me, what are you doing? You're giving up a 40 grand job with a car to go do this. It's crazy. I was like, no, you know, I can do it. Let's have, let's have a go. Let's have a crack at it and see where we go. But not one thing that also I admire massively in hearing this story, boys, is I don't think enough people value the journey, the day-to-day -day journey. You know, I think so many people are, are so caught up in where they're trying to go that they actually make themselves miserable trying to get there. And, and you know, one, it's coming out loud and clear, the, the laughs, the, the smiles, the, the experiences, the memories that you guys have created. That's what it's all about. Not enough people know that. I, th I think that's, um, that, I mean, without getting too deep, that, that's life in general, right? You, you can't, you've got to enjoy the, the ride of where you're going to rather than focusing on just the destination. It has to be an enjoyable ride. Otherwise, what's the, what's the point in it all? Um, that was the big point of getting Matt on board with me. I was up and down on this emotional roller coaster on my own, just fighting the world I was basically. Yeah. That's what it felt like. It felt like a fight three, was it three and a half, four years, Matt? I can't, can't remember, but it was just- three, three years. Yeah, three years of fighting, fighting, trying to get this company off the ground. And no one to share the lows with or the highs is what really makes it difficult. And I think, I, I also think that, that that can make tennis coaching difficult if you're a sole coach working at a club. It's the same thing, really. It's probably not as up and down as what probably setting a holiday company up was, but it's still it's still an emotional roller coaster and, and you've got no one to sound off to a lot of the time. And, and that was one of the best things, having Matt, taking Matt on board was... The best thing I did because yep. it enabled me to um, share those moments and, yep. and, and you need to share highs with people as much as you need to share lows with people. Absolutely. Uh, you know, you can have a high, but a high on your own is not really a high, you know? No, no, it, absolutely. 
and that's one of my big things on on tennis coaching actually and I'm sure that this has come through on the podcasts but you're talking about coaches working on their own I think most coaches in the UK are working on their own even if they're even if they're part of a team because of the self-employed nature of it you know and that was certainly something that I found working in a job that I really enjoyed, but I wasn't truly part of a team. You know, I wasn't living and breathing, you know, the ins and outs of everything. We didn't all have skin in the same game, you know, because we all were going along on our own, our own kind of private journeys, really. Worries me a little bit about coaches and coaching. And I feel like, I, and and it, it, I might sound negative here, and, and look, I love tennis, and I love, I like, you know, I've got lots of tennis coach friends, but I feel that um, when I started Active Away, I felt genuinely like people, I went to see coaches, and people dumped those brochures because they didn't want to see me succeed. Yeah, yeah. Only because they thought they could do it themselves. They thought they could do it themselves. Oh, I'll do my own holidays. I can do that. I can do that myself. And they, and they don't almost, it's not like what I've heard. And I don't know if America's different, but I always hear that in America, if you've got a dream and you tell people about it, you, you see it on the films like, oh, everyone's, oh man, this is great. You can do that. Whereas I've got a lot of the opposite. I've got a lot of people telling me, you've got no chance or, you know, why, why is your holiday going to be better than what I could do, et cetera. And, and, that's what got me down the most was just going out there and just getting nowhere, feeling like I'm treading in mud. Yep. I think I think that was one of the biggest things. Just just before I went into the LTA, when I was working at, at David Lloyd in Derby, working with some good players, um, you were there was almost this element of, of competition all the time with other centres. Um, and I don't know whether that's bred through from the top. I don't think it's intentionally bred through from the top, but. The one thing we, we actually started to try and do within within Derbyshire, and this is bit going back a while now, Andy Barnes, who you all know well as well, Andy was head coach at Derby Tennis Centre. Probably was a bit Chesterfield at the time, but we had sort of the three indoor centres that at the time we all had aspirations of driving these centres forward, going into HPCs and all this sort of stuff. And none of the centres were big enough to do that. So we actually all got together as a, as a team and tried to put something together almost a HBC program across yep. three centres to be able to deliver what those players are needed. But that took quite a lot of work to get three centres cooperating and driving through with the same kind of goals and targets. Um, and, and I think that's, that's something that is definitely missed um, with, with, with coaching in the UK is that, that ability to work as a, a team. Everything is very, very individual and, we talked a little bit earlier about sort of stagnating. It's just, it's so easy to get stagnant when you're on your own all the time. Well, you guys certainly haven't stagnated. And I think this is the the time when we're going to bring in Dragon's Den. So, so for the, for the listeners, you know, Matt and Steve have obviously been, been running this for a long time. And then, you know, their story really started to explode when they were on the BBC series, Dragon's Den. Um, and were selected, selected by by the dragon, Peter Jones, to be, to be working together. So, Steve, if you can, when did the idea of trying to get on Dragon's Den? How tell us how that kind of started, and then the process of first and foremost being accepted to to go and pitch to them. I guess that was success in its own right. 
Yeah, so it started sitting on a plane flying back from Meribel with a client, a really good client of ours, who's a wealthy man in his own right. And he sat there and he said, you know what? Your business could be so big, could be massive. You've got to, let's just think about how you could make it big. What ideas do you have? And then I just started reeling off these ideas. You know, one was I want to get in touch with Richard Branson. Um, and, and I was thinking of paying £1,000 to book Necker Island, find out when Branson's going to be there and propose my idea to put my forward my idea to Branson. That was the one idea. And then the other idea I had was I'm going to write into Dragon's Den and I'm going to be the first person to offer 5% of my business for a pound. That was my idea. And I remember getting off that plane and, and that they were all my ideas actually. And, 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 and Vaughan, he's like, I love that, love that pound idea. And then I just got off the plane, got home. As soon as I got home, I just applied, went online straight to the BBC site and wrote exactly that. And it, it gave us the list of stuff. And yeah, I, I applied. He hadn't run this one pound idea past me at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> Although it did, get us, it did get us on for the interview. So uh, I, I think that was quite funny in itself. I, I was actually living in, living in Greece at the time and flew back for it. Stayed with, um, I think you were still living at your dad's at the time. <laughs> Stayed at your dad's house that night. And you'd bought, that year, you'd bought yourself quite a nice fancy sports car, hadn't you? But you, we, it was quite small. Um, and we had to take the whole display that we were going to have for the for the show. This was one we'd actually got on the show. Um, had to take the display up. And one of which was a, was a sunbed. Um, and we had to try and get a sunbed in a two-seater jack. Um and I got there quite late on the night. We were going up for the for the show the next day. I said, so you got all the stuff. And it, this is classic how we work together. So you got all the stuff. He went, no, I've not got the sunbed yet. I was like, mate, we, we're going tomorrow. Like, <laughs> he said, I'll be all right. So we're sort of driving around like home bases and stuff in the morning, trying to find a flipping sunbed to take up to this thing. So it was, uh, it was we, we got there and got it done. Um, but the... The initial bit was quite, it was quite entertaining. Um, and, and I mean, we sat in there all day, didn't we? Uh, it was it was nerve wracking from like six in the morning till seven at night, I think. You're jumping past the interview process, Matt. Oh yeah. <laughs> Matt, we, 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 we did the first um, interview and it was basically, we had to go to Media House in Manchester and got the train up with Matt and, um, Anyway, we'd 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 um, forgotten. We'd at this point we'd even we'd even forgotten what we'd um, done. Our, we had to do our pitch ready, and then we had to go there. And they said, right, you have to do your pitch, and they just videoed you, and then they interviewed us, didn't they? They said, talk about yourself for a while, and and we literally thought we smashed it. We made these students laugh that were doing the thing, and Matt and I like we just got we basically got back on the train. We said, well, we know we're on the show. We absolutely smashed it because the, the, you've got to remember, Dan, the BBC aren't looking just for business. They're not looking for the best idea. They're looking for people that entertain. And we couldn't have entertained those two anymore because they couldn't stop laughing the whole time because me and Matt were just basically taking the wet out of each other the whole time. So anyway, a few months go by, we don't hear anything. Another month goes by, and Matt and I are sort of at this point, we've phoned each other up saying, cannot, but devastated. Can't, but there's no way we're not on that show. We were like, <laughs> like, 
we then we just had a bit of a realization maybe we weren't that funny maybe it was just us and all steve that. do you think they were looking for humility maybe <laughs> <laughs> anyway the fact is done they they did like us get a phone call and like right can you get in and they gave us like was it 10 days notice matt it was ridiculous yeah i had to fly back to the uk again we totally forgot our um line <laughs> totally forgot our lines obviously we it was like right we've got to get the kit get the kit set up the stand we had like a net i borrowed a net from david lloyd derby a, a, a mini tennis net we had to have some rackets and uh, a sun lounger we got one of them really cheap sun loungers because it had to fold and get in the two seater jug you know you know the sun lounger you probably never lay on one of these Dan you're too you're too young one of the sun loungers that sort of got those springs to hold the canvas it's what basically it's they, they creak you sit on them and they make the worst creaking sound you've ever think and they, they they're known for collapsing so that, that we'll come into that in a minute but we got one of those and then Matt and I, we had we had dinner at the hotel um, that the Dragons Den team, the BBC, put us in. And I said, we really need to practice because we haven't even like done our you know pitch. And they give you three and a half minutes, and you have to be between three and three and a half minutes pitch, no shorter, no longer, and you have to nail it. So all all night, I said to Matt, I'm not going to sleep until we've nailed it perfectly a couple of times because we kept making mistakes. You know, you sort of like. Try and remember it, Matt. Should we have a go? Good afternoon, Dragons. My name's Steve Davis, and this is my business partner. Hello. We're here today to ask you for £25,000 for a 5% five, stake in our tennis holiday business, Active Away. So, Steve, two things. One, you've just called yourself Steve Davis. <laughs> When, when, when I thought, when I thought that your name was Steve Davies, so I'm now completely confused. And secondly, what happened to this one pound for five percent nonsense? You're now asking for twenty five grand. Okay, so the BBC wouldn't allow us to do it. They, 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 they said, unfortunately, we want it to be a serious business program. And I was trying to say, well, I am serious. I want expertise. I don't want money. I want expertise, and that's why I'm giving five percent of my business. But they didn't go for that idea. It didn't matter. So we we got the company valued and, and we asked for 25,000 for 5%. And I think that at the time valued the company at half a million. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and, and that's what we went with. And yeah. So I have to ask Matt, when you watch these shows, X Factor, The Voice, Dragon's Den, you know, these type of shows, there's cynical people out there that will say they already know who's been picked. It's already preempted. It's all set up for entertainment purposes. Did you have any inkling going into that room that you guys were going to be selected? Absolutely not. So basically the, the way, the way it worked, we got there at, I think six in the morning. Um, you had to do set up your stand as, as how it would look. Then, the producer would come around and tweak things and say, right, that's how it's going to be fine. Then you're sort of escorted to the green room where uh, I think we're in the green room from like eight in the morning with five other companies. And you're just basically told to wait in this room. You don't know when you're getting called out. They, they catch you unaware. So um, they just walk, they walk into the room. And they're like, okay, you're next. Um, then, then they go out. And you can imagine it's pretty nerve wracking. 
right? We're about to go on national, well, it's not live, but potentially national TV in front of these five. And have you met them before? No, no, no. You're, you're literally, you've never met, never met them before. Just wait in this room. And the first company went out. We were chatting to all the other companies, some of which were absolute load of rubbish, which was quite entertaining chatting to them. One of them was really good, actually. I think he also got investment, but on a different show. Then they come in again, and we were literally, each time you're like getting your um, adrenaline up, we're like, oh, God, here we go, here we go. And then, oh, it's not us. And then you go again, and it, but we were the last ones to get called. So we were, we, you've gone through that five times, and by the time you're the sixth one, you know you're next, so your adrenaline's on, on fire the whole time now, which is pretty knackering from eight in the morning till I think six at night we, we waited for. Eventually went in and and they had to do the run through of actually, I don't know, am I allowed to say the lift about the lift? I don't know. Um, the the lift is a door. So you sort of get in there and and there's no there's no lift. Steve kept Steve got it wrong about three times and we had to keep repeating that that entrance into there. Uh, eventually get in and then they're all just sat there, um, which is a bit surreal. Um, and I could at that point I could. I could feel my legs physically shaking um, as we as we walked into the room. Luckily, you couldn't see on the TV, but I could feel my legs shaking. You then have to remove there's like black screens that are in front of your display. So they literally have no idea who you are, or what you do. But these two guys walk out holding tennis rackets and short and T-shirt. That's all they see. Um, we move the screens and then sort of you're into the into the pitch. But they have they have no idea who you are. Um, they have no idea who we have no idea about them either. Yeah, my, my, I just remember the screen opening and I just stared down the dragons. Literally, you just see them up there, they're staring at you. Peter is looking miserable as sin, literally miserable. Deborah's looking miserable. They've been there, they've been there all day from 11 till 6, seeing these, these investments. From what I understand, a lot of them, the, they, they've they weren't that happy with quite a few of them before. We didn't know that at the time. And then actually I look at Sarah, uh, what's Sarah's surname, Matt? Willingham. Yeah, and, she, and I looked at her and she smiled. And she was the only one and she just gave us a smile and that, that relaxed me because if she wouldn't have smiled as well, I think I would, have, I would have bottled it. But she smiled and I just felt like this warmth from her and I thought, great, okay, and, and then, do you remember, Matt? We didn't know where to stand. We were like, we were whispering to each other because she's supposed to stand on this X. So they said, when you go in, go and remove your cover, go to the back of the room and then stand on the X. We walked in, removed the cover and we're whispering to each other. Have you seen the X? Have you seen the X? I can't see the X like this. <laughs> we're both whispering. We removed the cover. Then we stood at the back of the room and then the producer came came into us. He grabbed us both. He pointed to where the X was. So, and the X was like a piece. It was tiny. So, so we then knew. And he said, "Right, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to walk behind the dragons. I'm going to call you forwards, and stand on the X and start your pitch. And the rest is history. I think. How did you feel the pitch went, Matt? Oh, we nailed it. Um, I think that literally you get, because obviously with the thing with the den is when you see the show, you, you get your, well, it's been, the pitch has to be between two and a half and three minutes. And there's no, there's no do-overs, right? It's, it's, you just, yeah. that's it, it's done. So we pretty much got that verbatim and, and nailed it. 
Um, still completely, for me anyway, I don't know. I, actually, I think Stevie was pretty nervous as well, but we were both used to presenting in front of people. So I don't think the presentation side of things yeah. was so much of an issue. And for me, I was doing all the, a lot of the memory stuff, like the figures and, and knowing like where we've been and where we want to go. And you can't, again, you can't have any of that written down. So we've got to remember the pitch. I've got to remember the figures. And towards getting through to the end of the figures, I was getting a little bit challenged on some of them by Tuka um, Solomon. And Peter actually just saved me because he actually got up and went and lay on the sunbed, at which point me and Steve thought the sunbed was going to collapse <laughs> um, and, and asked us how good we are at keepy uppies. Because I think... He probably thought that he got the two, a couple of jokers coming in, can't really play tennis. And and I remember Steve actually went, probably better than you. Um, and we, we ended up doing a, a volley rally with Peter, with him lying on the sunbed, at which point then the, the financial side of the thing was done. And if I'm honest, at that point, both of us, I think then both completely relaxed. And that was probably 10 minutes in. And we were in there for another two and a half hours of, oh, of wow. getting questioned um but, but for the, I, I think anyway and stevie you jump in but i think for that two and a half hours we were then a lot more rela- tired but a lot more relaxed well well basically what relaxed us dan was peter getting on that uh, peter literally it was the, the very start we finished our pitch and he pretty much got up and sat on there i just had this moment of trunky i don't know if you ever saw the trunky episode where duncan bannertine broke this trunky trunkies are those the, yeah. you know luggage things and he broke it and he said this is shoddy i just saw peter who's like six foot living nine sitting on this sun lounger and it just completely collapsing and and then the shoddy holiday company this is this what your sun loungers are like or something like that once we got past that the second we you know what what got rid of my nerves was playing tennis Mm -hmm. we played tennis and my nerves straight away then and then to be fair it did help that Sit Peter got off the sun lounge, sat down, and this is what you didn't see on TV because the BBC edited it completely different. Within the first five minutes of being in there, Peter sat down on there and he said, guys, I just want to say I love it. And I know this is going to start a domino effect. And by the way, dragons, this is, and he, I, I, I remember every word, and by the way, dragons, and he looks to his right, down at all the dragons, this is not for sharing but I'm going to make you an offer. And he did that in the first five minutes. But when the BBC aired it, they didn't air it like that. They showed Deborah coming in first and then another dragon coming in. And then Peter came in as the, the fourth dragon. They did it completely different order. Right, okay. Which, which was really weird to me. I don't, I don't know why the BBC chose to edit it that way because Peter even said, I think this is my fastest ever investment. Yeah. You know, and I thought they... so So... Yeah, it just surprised me that they did edit it that way. Um, but, hey, it went really well. Um, and why after- were you so adamant, again, coming across from watching it, you guys were adamant that Peter was your guy? I think Peter's known for playing tennis. On the show as well, he said, look, when he was 14, he slept with his tennis racket. You know, he, he's, he, he does like tennis. He doesn't, he doesn't play as much these days. And I think he would like to play more, but he doesn't seem to find time to do it. But he, he does play tennis. He loves the sport. Uh, he understands tennis. And, and the other Dragons didn't play tennis. And ultimately, to have someone at the time I felt who has passion in the sport, that is very important. 
Um, so that for me was the main reason. And, and, and look, let's face it, he's the most famous dragon. You know, everyone, you know, he's been on the show from day one, hasn't he? And he, he, you know, he is the most famous dragon. So it was, it was sort of a match made in that, in that respect. Yeah, I think he was actually also a, a qualified coach. Um, yeah. He made money initially as, as a tennis coach. So, um, you know, there was quite a lot of synergy there going, going back. It's, 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 uh, it's a good fit. Um, so he was definitely, yeah, for the love of tennis and also because he was the most well-known. As Steve said, we weren't, we weren't really going on after necessarily money. It was more exposure and having someone else on board to help us move the business forward um, with a bit more kind of expertise. Um, and, and we felt he was the best person to be able to, to do that, really. And what are the realities? So I guess, again, the, the TV edit and the way that it sounds and Peter Jones is passionate about active away and he's coming in. What are the realities of that once the cameras are taken away? If I'm honest, we walked out of that studio and all of the producers, everyone were like high-fiving us, saying that's one of the best pitches they've ever had on the show. It was incredible. Because we had four out of the five dragons all, all, all wanted to invest. And actually the only one that didn't was because he already has a business in a similar field. Um, so we were, we were on cloud nine. We went, to, <laughs> we went off to celebrate to get a curry, um, bought, a, bought a bottle of champagne, uh, which I, th I think is the only time I've ever seen Stevie buy a bottle of champers. Um, and I remember having this feeling and I genuine and, and it was genuine at the time. I was like, it was like only fours and horses. I, I turned around and said, like, this time next year, Rodders, that's it. We're going to be millionaires. You know, that's, that's how I felt at the time. Yeah. Um, and then I think even the next morning, you kind of come back to earth with a bump and go, hang on a minute. It, it's great. It's going to be great, but we've still got to do the work uh, and, still got to in, and, and enjoy the work. Um, and I think, I, I guess the only downside of, of Peter compared with some of the others is because he is the most well-known and probably has his finger in so many pies, it, it, you do get less time from him. Whereas I think maybe if we'd gone with someone else, we possibly would have got more face-to-face -face time. But yeah. this was this was quite openly discussed um, in meetings when we were sort of agreeing the, the finer detail, we're going through all the due diligence phase. They had to do a lot of checks on what we were saying was correct, which was all fine. Um, but then, you know, John Eastaff, who looks after Peter's investments, was pretty brutally honest with us and said, look, you aren't going to see Peter that much. You, you, you know, he'll be there if you need him. Um, and he has been, you know, he's done the things we've asked him to do. But it's not a case of you're going to be having a monthly catch up with him and, and seeing him regularly and all this sort of stuff. Um, so we had eyes, eyes wide open on that. Um, but that's probably I'd say it, it, it does. That felt different to what we probably thought at the time of doing the show. We probably yes. thought great Peter's going to be in here every week with us and down in the tray, which is completely unrealistic. Yeah. Um, and as I said, before signing the deal, we knew that. And I think actually something like 50% of deals do fall through because people then have their eyes open to actually what it's going to be like and, okay. and what you're going to get. And do you still want to give up that percentage of your business? And what's been the biggest upside, Steve, of, of the whole Dragon's Den side of, of your business? So quite literally, you know, when I said I started the business and I'd go and visit coaches 
and they're like, ah, oh, Steve Davies, you know, I, no, I got the name right that time. <laughs> Steve Davies, you know, well, what does he know? I can do tennis holidays. Straight away, I felt respected by the tennis community. So I, I played, for instance, 35, I play 35 county weekend every year for Derbyshire. Yeah. And I just felt so, so many people came to me and said, well done. And, and, and from it, it was just open doors to people that would have never given me a chance before. Yeah. But they said, oh, come to our club. We could get that going. And, and it, that's what it did for us. It was just, I think, I think because we did a good, a, a really good pitch and, and, and so many people bought into it. It was almost like the coaches bought into us as well. And it gave us credibility. And, and that for me, was the, the biggest thing and, and such a nice feeling actually to have people respect you for what you've done and, and, and it almost felt like some people sort of said it was good to see tennis on the TV, someone's doing well in tennis, it was just yeah. nice and I felt like they, coaches had my back a bit whereas when I first started it was the opposite Dan, I, I felt yeah, quite negative about a lot of things and, and 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 it also made me go about things a little bit wrong in the early days because I'd walk into places knowing with a negative view of what was going to happen it was a defensive yeah yeah defensive is the word I was very defensive and and now because I've taken that's all gone my that's helped me get over that it's made my it's made my life a lot easier talking to people and, yeah, yeah. And, Ultimately, what Dra Dragons Den has done, whether that's Peter, I think it's just being on the show and, and getting respect from coaches. And, and yeah, I'm really grateful for that. I definitely, you know. And what's the number one thing, Matt, that that Peter has helped you guys with? Um, I'd say just be the, the ability to use his name and his network. Um, so, you know, we've got him all over the website, all over the marketing, and it gives us, that, that credibility that yeah. when people come to us, it's like, you know, okay, well, if this guy's involved with it, they, they must be good. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that's probably the main thing. There's, there's been other things along the way. Um, you know, he, he got us into um, red letter days. So we were sort of selling our, our tennis weekends in, in the UK in, in red letter days and stuff like that, which was a company he, he owned. Um, but I, I definitely say it's the, it's having that, that side of things of, of just being able to use his name to help us market. Um, I think as well, having the, the, the office and the, and the support to people as well. I mean, yeah. I think the main thing, Dan, is he's cemented our brand. He's yeah. made up, he's helped our brand. Um, I, I believe our brand is quite established now. We're not probably a Nielsen holidays, but Active Away now is quite well known. You know, we get, I go to a quite a few, oh, I've heard of Active Away, I've heard of Active Away and, yeah. and that, that's that's, I think that's what the main the main help for yeah. me is Peter's really because because he's so well known and uh, being associated with him it helped our brand for certain and such a positive time and when when was it what year was the Dragons Den two thousand well we were we were on the actual show we were aired on the twenty eighth of December two thousand and sixteen and then a year later we were on a show called Pitches to Riches, which is a follow-up show to Dragon's yeah. Den, where we go back and look at uh, successful stories yeah. and unsuccessful stories. And we were on again, funny enough, the same date, which is really weird, but a year later. So, so you've got this whole 
media storm. You've got this exposure. You've got brand awareness. I would imagine the business is doing really well. And then bloody COVID-19 has hit. Do you know what? I just I really need to mention one thing before we talk about COVID and, and, yeah. and what's happened because we've missed something that is deeply important that we, we need to say. First of all, businesses for me, you know, when I was the manager at David Lloyd Derby, we had a great team and it is about the team. It's about people. And um, for me, we're missing a big thing. We're missing Josh. Um, Josh Thompson, who is our sales director, who now is part of the business, has shares in the business. Um, and he literally started as a young boy and is now this, you know, man managing our sales and marketing and has done an amazing job to move our company forwards with the branding, with the um, he's the icing on the cake. He really is. He's and, and he hosts a lot of our holidays. I've got to be honest. I don't know about you, Matt. He gets the best feedback out of everybody. Um, and he's been, he's just done such a good job. And, and I, I was very quick to make sure that he got shares in the company because I didn't want to lose him. You know, he was somebody that I don't want him as my competitor. I don't want him going and learning off us and then leaving us. And he's proved his loyalty. He's, he's a very loyal lad and he's made such a, a good impact and he's helped drive the company forwards a lot. Yeah, no, I can see that completely. I mean, I remember round about that time, I remember Josh came out to the Academy and he was obviously a young coach looking at where he was going to go next. And one thing that was very clear to me, I think he spent maybe two weeks at the Academy is what a great young coach he was, but what what attributes he had as a as a person, you know, to to go in and be successful in whatever he did. So, uh, I guess to to leaders out there listening, and this has come through through all of the podcasts, businesses ultimately will always come down to people, 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 <laughs> you know, and and your ability, you guys, to be able to spot that young talent and bring them into your team. You guys deserve a lot of credit for that. And I think it's it's great that Josh gets his, his rightful shout out for that. So COVID-19, 2020, it's, it's affected most businesses. You know, we've had some people on here who, you know, in a very humble way have admitted that it's helped their business. You know, if it's a, people that are online or people that are doing different things and it's, it's opened up different doors, a, a, a travel company or a, or a tennis coaching company that is 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 traveling on on a weekly basis, I guess it couldn't have hit you any harder from all different directions. Yeah, I'm taking yeah. a deep breath here. You want to go, Stevie? I'll start off. Um, oh, yeah. Um, We've had other things that have challenged us with the ash cloud and that, that the ash cloud nearly broke me. And that was in the early days. I mean, that was just like a, a 35,000 pound risk to the company in the early days that was, was actually mortgaged my house, you know, and had a bond that was protecting our customers. I've just got to be honest. Um, had we not have, if we would have taken dividends out of the company for the last three years and paid ourselves, I can be honestly, honestly say we would have had to go bankrupt. There's no doubt about it. 
the fact is we didn't. We were in a really healthy position because none of the directors had taken dividends out of the business. But that dividends has now been lost. You know, every penny that, that, that I've worked for, Matt works for, Josh has worked for, has now gone. And, and yeah, COVID swallowed it all. And all three years, three years of what we've worked really hard and three biggest years, and COVID has swallowed that money completely. Now, you know, you could say, well, we could have taken dividend and uh, in the early, you know, before COVID, and then literally we just wouldn't, wouldn't have survived because, you know, it's not possible to survive um, as a holiday company. And COVID couldn't have come there couldn't have been a worse time for it to happen because the bulk of our holidays, 65% of our business happens in April and May, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, thank God that we got holidays off the ground in September and October, because that really helped us. And now next year is actually looking, I mean, we're nearly fully booked for April and May because a lot of people, most 75% of our clients deferred, so they did they didn't want their money back they wanted to carry on and you know we're, we're in we're, we're in a really uh, strong position we hope the vaccine's going to go ahead and we're going to get through we are in a strong position right now it's just a horrible time um i think from from a from a professional standpoint the, the business was growing 40 40 percent year on year back in january we were up like 60% year on year sales and we were we were just having the best the best year it was going to be amazing um so for that to then come in and destroy that not take the dividends aside just the fact that the our best year by far is now you know we lost probably 80% of turnover not far what our projected turnover was going to be um you know with the team we've had to reduce the team down lost four people that were sort of on full time with us pretty much um, that's been reduced down so we were doing and, and in that time period april may june there was twice as much if not more than that work to do because there was so much customer relations stuff that we, if i'm honest i've not done much of that for a while steve's done very little of that for a long time and we were back on the phones doing all of that with with half the staff so we were working twice as hard for just to try and rescue this in a, in a weird way, though, for me personally, I, I definitely didn't enjoy April, May. <laughs> it was it was horrendous. It was horrible. Worst second most worst time of my entire life. Um, definitely. June, July, August, in a weird way, when we kind of got that clarity that we knew we could kind of get through um, that then turned into a sort of scrappiness of right, let's fight for this now and let's let's turn that around. And and actually, I almost quite enjoyed that that bit of scrapping. And then we got through to September, having scrapped for three months, thinking, okay, brilliant, we can get the trips off the ground. And then like just got hit with hotel closures, flights, the, all these changes again. And I I think I got to the point in September I was out with Josh running the running the holidays in Corfu. We just finished the social tennis in the afternoon, finished at seven o'clock. And my phone was blowing up with going, oh, and, and it turned out Crete had gone on the quarantine list. And I, I turned around to Josh and I was like, you know, I said I was enjoying that, that, that scrappiness. <laughs> I think I'm done with it now. <laughs> it was just soul destroying to have worked so hard to get all of that up and running again. 
to then have all of these changes again, it was it was horrible. Absolutely yeah. horrible year. Horrible year. Yeah, on, on top of that, September, I was due, I went out to Turkey to view a few hotels first um, and had a look at a few hotels that we're looking to do future business with. Uh, I live in Portugal now, so flew with my partner, Sarah, to um, the UK. We stayed with friends uh, for a few days and then went out to Turkey. Um, and when we got out there, I get a text from our friends to say, guys, we've, we've tested positive for COVID. And I said to Sarah at the time, we didn't have symptoms, but I said, you know what, we need to get tested because, you know, there's no way I can go and host a holiday with 40, 50 people on it with our clients who are vulnerable, no. you know, the ages of our clients. We had one lady who was 81 on our week. I said, how can I sit next to her? I need to get tested. So we got tested and hey, presto, we were positive too. So I had to isolate with Sarah in a hotel room for two weeks while I could, and then Josh, we had to fly Josh out. We had to do changes around to get Josh out to host the weeks. Cause you know, the hosting is quite a difficult job. You know, he had eight coaches with him. Yep. They had to, you know, get the program running. So I'm sat in a hotel room right by the tennis courts, you know, not able to work with, with COVID myself. So we've, we've had it. We've had to deal with it. We've had to deal with it with the business. Can't wait for it to be gone. Yeah. <laughs> I literally can't. Wait for it to be gone. But Dan, ultimately, we've got our health. Yeah. I'm, I didn't suffer with it, you know, in any particular bad way. And, you know, moving forwards, you know, I'm just happy that we've got our health and, and actually that we've still got active away and, and proud, very, very proud of myself, Matt and Josh and Ali of getting through that, ringing out. We rang every single client and we didn't do what other holiday companies were doing. We didn't do what Ryanair were doing, who, by the way, still owe us money. We didn't do what, you know, even BA and EasyJet were doing at the early stage. We offered every single person a refund and we did it. And, and we have come out, our clients have seen what we do and we've come out of it, you know, in such a good way because we've done it, done it the right way and, and it hurt. Don't get me wrong, it hurt. The conversations we were having with clients really hurt because we were paying, basically, to give people their money back. Yep. If someone had paid us £1,500 for a holiday, of that holiday, we've done all the work to market it, all the work to get them booked. We've paid probably 2% card fees on that booking. So there's 40-odd quid that we've paid to Amex or, or whoever it is that we won't get back. And then we have to give them their money back as well. You know, I'm, I'm also a big believer and it's, you can look back on things when it's past. I'd say the two, the two worst times of my life, one was a, a relationship breakup and then two was this. And both things, I think when you look back, there's, there's definitely, you can take positives out of things as well. Um, and you, and you need to. Um, and I think, there's been some positive, some some positive lessons we've I've learned personally, but we've also learned as a business this year. And I think for me, the two main things that stand out is is how adaptable we've been able to be in this situation, L like literally to the point of okay, we've got a holiday due to start next week with twenty people. The hotel's now not opening. We're not losing that business. Let's find another hotel. Okay, within two days, got a new hotel signed up got all these people transferred over onto a new place and, and all this sort of stuff. 
and just that resilience of just going, no, this isn't going to beat us. If, if, it's, if there's any chance we can get through this, it's not going to beat us. Um, and, and we have, we've just fought, we fought, literally yeah. fought for it this year. Um, it's been a fight the whole way. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm a big believer in, apart from terminal illness, which scares the hell out of me, because there's nothing you can do about it. Bad things equal opportunity. And, and that ability to reframe it. And I guess looking from the outside, you, you are a business that ultimately the success of the business will come down to the quality of customer service. You know, and you guys have obviously a very personable guys. Josh is a very personable guy. This has given you an opportunity to get ahead of the game and your customer service. And, and the fact that you're personally calling up everybody about that, you, you can hold your heads up high that you've gone about it in the absolute right way. There's no question that there will be a return on that investment that you guys have put in, <laughs> you know? And I think that's, that's the, 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 the beauty of, I guess, us all dealing with these difficulties. And again, I can relate because we, we've gone through exactly the same. We've been hit in every different angle. Don't get me wrong. It's not, I'm not sitting here saying it's been, it's been a great time by any stretch of the imagination. And I can completely relate to the, the, the mass difficulties of it. But I'm very confident by dealing with things in the correct manner will equate to the cream rising to the top when this, when this stuff is, is all said and done. And, and I'm sure Active Away is, is going to be the same. On that note, is there a threat to your business? Um, well, we, we, what's, from COVID, we are changing quite a few things. Um, the actual ethos of the business is not going to change at all. Um, what we deliver is not going to change. The only thing we are going to have to change moving forwards because we can't, the world we're living in right now, we, we can't, we're not big enough to risk doing things as we do. So uh, it, it, it took a lot of meetings and talking and hitting our heads against the brick wall. And I was all for this months ago. Um, and I finally broke Matt and Josh, but uh, we basically, we're not going to offer flights anymore. So I'll put, we, we, we've, we've not going down that road because we have no control over that. And the way the airlines have treated us, it's just too much of a risk to our business. So, so we're going to get our customers to book their flights. We will book them for them if we, they wanted. They want us to physically book them, but they will have to pay for them as a separate part of the package um, because we just cannot operate and, and carry on the same way. It's a shame but it, it's how a lot of holiday businesses are now having to operate. And, and with COVID, especially, you know, it's just, it's just highlighted. That's the only way we can continue moving forwards. So all our future bookings, new bookings will be flightless. Um, all our bookings that we currently have, we still have our license and we're still going to carry on with that. But we're just not going to book flights for future bookings and all the ones that have deferred, they will still have their package as normal. So that's one thing that's going to change. Um, it's, been, it's took a lot of talking, hasn't it, Matt? And, 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 and we've really, really had to think carefully, but actually speaking to a lot of our clients, they were like, actually, 
are quite there, there are some benefits to it as well they can choose oh i'll do a few extra nights you know they didn't realize i could do extra nights well you can and it's opened up a lot of other avenues there are a few logistic things that we had to get around but i think in the long run it'll probably be better so steve what what is next and and i guess one thing we haven't we haven't covered as such is is what you guys are doing on your holidays you know you you mentioned earlier doubles is is become a big part of it you know if i if i come on an active away holiday what do i get how does it look why why are you different to a to another brand well first of all we have a brand of coaching and we based our brand around doubles we based it uh, I mean, I love doubles. That, that's my game. I'm so passionate. I think Matt's the same. We both both love doubles. Josh, too. We probably all prefer doubles to singles uh, as as people. Doubles, look, it's a team sport. Dan, you love, you played a lot of doubles. You've reached a very high level at doubles. It's a team sport. It brings people together. It's so social. Um, but for me, when I drive around the UK and, and, and see tennis clubs, it's very obvious that people haven't been taught how to play doubles. The regular club player, their lesson in doubles is someone saying, oh, when you stand at the net, you put your racket in front of you, you take one step backwards, and that's how close you should be to the net. Um, and by the way, when I'm, when I'm serving, um, oh, sorry, when I'm returning, can you stand on the service line so you can tell me whether the serve's in or out? That's why you stand there. You know, it's all, and, and it's just clear that, that people really haven't been taught it and coaches don't teach doubles and and uh, and as a generalization and 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 everyone that comes on our holidays they 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 basically we base the whole coaching program around making them better doubles players because in one week we can't change someone's forehand in in group coaching we cannot change someone's forehand and technically do anything with that and i don't believe in trying to change someone who's 50 who's hit the forehand like they have for 30 years on a tennis holiday I'm not going to be changing their forehand dramatically anyway but what I can do is send everyone away having a clear understanding of doubles when they should be defensive when they can be attacking why they're standing where they're standing who to be looking at in what situation um and giving them an insight and making doubles fun for them, like to another level of enjoyment rather than just, you know, start going forwards, moving back and not knowing why. Um, so that's, that, that's ultimately our brand. And then the big, obviously the huge part about our holidays that, that, that outside of the tennis is the social side. You know, we, we, all the coaches are out on that week. It's not a typical tennis holiday where you go, you have coaching and then you're left to your own devices. We, host the whole holiday from start to finish with a whole coaching team all the all the lunches dinners we're there you know and and it creates we, we call it the active away family but we've made there's so many people that have met on our holidays and they've kept in touch there's clubs that meet other clubs and we've got this massive social scene uh, we're, we're doing a quiz for instance at christmas because of covid we can't we have a christmas party we're doing a quiz We've got a hundred people that will be, we can't take any more than a hundred, unfortunately, because of, you know, Josh is doing it and I don't know how it's going to work on the computer, but we're doing this quiz and, and it just says it hundred people have signed up straight away because they're part of this family and they want to, they want, you know, that, that, that's what we sell. We don't, we sell, we sell this, um, 
I, don't, I, I can't put a, a, an exact word it's on it. It's tribe, isn't it? I think I, I, it's, I've read a lot about this and it's pe- people want to be part of a tribe. If you go back to kind of the fundamental psychology of a, of a human being to be part of something. And, and I remember actually, if I share a very quick story, my wife's a broadcast journalist. And, and I remember when we were living in the Midlands, she actually went in and interviewed a football hooligan. He was like the most famous football hooligan from Wolves, uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers. And what came out of that that she did was how being a football hooligan is the same. The attraction of being a football hooligan is being part of a tribe. You know, that's what we that's what we create as human beings. Probably the number one tribe that we see nowadays is CrossFit. You know, CrossFit across the gyms, you know, everyone wants to be part of that. And what it what it sounds like is that you've created an active away tribe. You know, that's what, you know, there's a sense of belonging. Love it. Yeah, I think I've got two um two two kind of standout memories or, or stories on that. One is actually funny enough, the, the Christmas party we had um I think two years ago and this is one night in London, right? This is not, it's not a big do either. We, we, we kind of going on till, you know, maybe 11, 12 o'clock at night. We had someone from Canada come. We had someone from Scotland get a train down. People from all over the country came along. We had like 80, 80 odd people in this little room in, in, in Putney, um, in Barnes um, for the do. And then the other one was I went to one of our clients who's, who's actually a very good friend of mine now. Uh, I went to her 50th birthday party and I was a bit, I don't really know any of her friends. So I was a bit in that kind of like, oh, I'm not sure this is going to be a bit of a weird night. I got there and there's about 50 people there for her 50th and half of them were all from active away holidays. And I was like, I was blown away. I was like, so this, this is what we do. This is what we do. It's friendships. It's that social side of things. And it's lasting, lasting friendships. People have literally made lifelong friends on our holidays and come back year on year on year. It's, it's amazing. I think ultimately as well, Matt, we really enjoy, Dan, seeing people improve. doesn't matter what level they are on our holiday as well, tennis-wise. We literally love it. You know, I remember actually, it might sound really sad here, but it's true. Um, this, this uh, I came out of, after my two weeks quarantine uh, this September, and then I did, I hosted the last week. And um, I remember coaching uh, people in the morning. Then in the afternoon, I was watching some doubles play on court 18, actually, in Turkey, this was. And these two ladies were playing. And they were just doing some of the stuff that we'd done. And I was watching them in the game. And I was just like, I remember going back to the room to see, and my partner, Sarah, was in the room. And I said, I was on such a high because I'd just seen people, like, these are, 60 year old ladies I was on such a high because they were doing stuff and it was working and and yeah I think when you when you're passionate about that that's why the business is a success because we love what we do we love seeing people uh, make friends and we love people getting better at tennis and and yeah and and I still do that to the still feel like that this day the day that changes will be the day I won't host holidays anymore yeah well that comes through loud and clear guys it really does you know from both of you the way that you've the the way that you've spoken about it and i guess my my last question before we move into quick fire and i'll start with you matt 
one of my issues with the tennis industry is I think a lot of people coach for it to be a job. And, and I think because of that, we don't get this kind of cycle of passion that I'm getting from you guys. I've got a feel good factor talking to you guys. Hopefully, you know, the feeling is mutual. And when I talk, talk about tennis, whereas a high percentage of coaches don't. So what would your advice be to those coaches that are disillusioned? You know, they, they don't really see an opportunity. They don't see a way of building a, a career through the industry. I think for me, um, going back to my own coaching journey, coaching always, I mean, you can you can say I was not a very good businessman as a coach, but coaching was always about the player and the byproduct of me working with that player was I earned, I earned a living from doing that. And I think so many people get that backwards. And I, I think that, that can be applied throughout business, right? If you're always looking at the the bottom line, what do we want to do? How much profit do we want to make? If you're only focused on on that element, and you're not focused on, well, actually, what do the team need to be doing in order to do? Dan, you know, a process and outcome. Yeah. Essentially, what we're talking about is everyone focuses on the outcome yeah. rather than focus on the process and, and enjoying the process of what they're doing. As a, as a tennis coach in the UK, I do I, I get that exact same feeling as well. And, and my job at the LTA was 100% that. I, I always kind of looked at, you know, the coaches that were in my counties, and a lot of them were, were doing it because it was their, their job. And I yeah. think the passion had come out of that a little bit. How you keep that passion? Great question. I, I, I don't really know if I'm honest, but the, again, I said earlier, my main advice was always to, to get out of your club and go and spend time with other coaches and learn and, and bounce ideas off. And Steve said that at the start, one of the biggest problems with Active Away at the start was being on your own and not sharing those highs and lows. And as a, at a club, as a coach, I think that's it's so important to have other people around you that you can share those experiences with. Um, it's just fundamentally important. I think, Dan, we've got a pool of over 100 coaches that we bring out and they assist us with our Active Away programme. We, we, funny enough, we took Louis Kyer on um as like our ambassador and he's done a few days because a lot of the co doubles drills and everything we do are all based around his tactics and ideas and his philosophy and basically we we train the coaches we get louis to come and train our team of coaches and we do our own active away you can call it active away training because we want them and then we did our own series of videos that train the coaches and, and our series of videos, just actually how we want them to behave with our clients. Yep. And the only coaches we get involved with us are the coaches that still love tennis. Yeah. And there are so many coaches out there that I don't think love tennis. Yep. And, and for me, I, 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 the only thing I would say to those coaches is guys, if you don't love tennis, then you can't love your job. And, and, and so if you don't love your job, just f try and find something else to do that you love because life will be much better doing something that you enjoy and you'll be much better at it as well. It, it, people will see and recognize that. And, 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 and if they don't have that passion, then they're in the wrong job. That's, that's, that, I'm, I'm blunt. I'm being blunt. And we don't get, you know, I know, I know some coaches that I don't want out on holiday with us, yep. you know, um, because they're not, they're, 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 it's almost it is just work for them it's work it's like being in a factory for them um and 
ultimately there is something out in life that they'll they'll be passionate and good at and, and they've just not had chance to find it so it's a great message to finish guys i'm gonna go into the quick fire uh we're gonna go first question steve answers first second question matt you know from there 30 you can work that out you smart guys okay uh steve favorite country for a tennis holiday <laughs> oh turkey matt greece singles or doubles <laughs> obviously doubles doubles steve you're not sticking to the plan man you answered first on the first question oh, matt I, I get it now okay matt the second so we're on the third so it's back to you steve all right your favorite airline easy jet easy jet coaching or hosting matt hosting steve both cop out um atp cup or davis cup atp davis cup matt you did that thing you did that thing. You went against the pattern. <laughs> you went against the pattern, man. Don't go against the pattern. Um, to, to you now, Steve, seeing as Matt's jumped in front of you there, what's one rule change that you would have in tennis? Number of bounces when serving. Matt? No let cords. And who should be our next guest, Matt? Andy Murray. Steve? Andy and Jamie Murray. We've had Jamie. Uh, together. So one of the rules is, with our guests, whoever they answer, they now have to recruit. So your job, <laughs> fellas, the next couple of weeks, you don't have any holidays for a while. You know, get on. I've, I know Andy's agent. I'll pass on his details. <laughs> if you can persuade the dragons... Right, to to come onto your into your business, you can persuade Andy Murray to come on to control the controllables. Done. Done. I'll have a go at that. Boys, what a pleasure it is to speak to you, to hear about your story. It's such a feel-good story. I know that COVID has had its challenges. I have no doubts that you guys are going to be more resilient, you're going to be more prepared, and your name's going to be out there with more people once this is over and you guys are going to fly. So all the very best and thanks for joining me. Thanks very much, Dan. It's been an absolute blast. Yeah, Dan, just to say it's um, a pleasure to set, share the stories with someone who has your passion. Um, you can, I can feel your passion just the same. It's great. So uh, maybe that's the tribe. We're, we're part of this, this tribe, this tennis tribe in our own way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Cheers. A big thank you to Steve and Matt for coming on the show. Been a difficult 2020 for you both. And I just want to say thank you for, for sharing your time, your knowledge, your insight. I always like to, to give a couple of my learnings from the podcast. Obviously, having the conversation, spending the time editing, I do hear 
hear the messages more than once and very loudly and clearly for me. And this is something I think we can take into any aspect of life. If you have a passion and you have a real strong purpose, then it's so much easier to make decisions. It's so much easier to deal with bad times. It's so much easier to Steve mentioned it in the in the podcast. I don't know what kept us going during these times. And I'm sure a lot of you have felt that at different times in your life. Well, it's the purpose, it's the passion though. If we have that in abundance, then it does keep us going. And that came across really clearly. My second thing would be around communication skills. You know, they both articulated themselves very well on the show, but also the way that they're communicating with their clients, the good news, the bad news. I think all of us, as long as we're communicated to really clearly and honestly, then we, we can't complain. So those would be my big takeaways. Uh, it was, yeah, a, a real pleasure speaking to them. A big thank you to all of you who continue to support. I know quite a lot of you reached out to me with some feedback. Hey, the good, the bad, the ugly, it was all great feedback to get. So thank you for that. I absolutely appreciate every single one of you for doing that. And for those that continue to rate, review, share these podcasts out far and wide. They really are getting around the world right now. And it's it's really enhancing so many people's worlds from, a, from an education point of view, but also from an entertainment point of view. And and there's a lot more energy now in the tennis tennis community that's coming through from these podcasts. So thank you very much. To give you a little taster on who's coming next, we have Lloyd Glasspool. GB doubles player, 150 in the world. And, and actually, I was his coach from the age of 11 to 18 and also coached him on the professional tour. So we're going to get into some real personal insights. We've got Xavier Melis. We've got Wayne Ferreira. We've got Jez Green, who was Andy Murray's ex-fitness coach and is now Alexander Zverev's fitness coach. So really have some wonderful guests coming through. If you have any questions to ask any of those guests, get in touch with me quick because though I can get those into the podcast. We'll be recording them in the next week or two. Until then, I'm Dan Keenan. We are Control the Controllables. <laughs>